My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Process Driven. A few months ago, I attended a talk that Dan Winters gave at the Smithsonian, and one of the things that struck me straight away about it was the language that he used to describe the relationship he has to his work. I've been a fan of Dan's for years, and I own a few of his books, but I've never had the chance to hear him speak before. There's such emotion and romance in how he relates to his work, especially in the making or the doing, as he calls it. Words like reverence and gratitude are used often, and as you'll hear in this conversation, these aren't simply buzzwords. They apply equally whether he's shooting a campaign for a client or walking by himself through the streets of New York City with a 50mm lens and a few rolls of Tri-X. There's an authenticity to Dan that seems to pervade his entire life, from the work that he does to the people and the things that he surrounds himself with. I asked Dan where his love of making began and how he stays connected to it 30 years in. Here's my conversation with Dan Winters. Please listen carefully. I think for me, the making is the enjoyable piece. You know, I joked about, I've joked before about when I was a young photographer going out and shooting pictures so I had something to print in the darkroom. Right. Because I wanted, you know, that, that the experience of start to finish for me has always been very, very satisfying. And the patience, I think, that you need to sort of hone in order to kind of achieve that. You know, I mean, we work on projects that transpire over sometimes days and sometimes weeks and months. And, you know, working on a project and while getting a lot of satisfaction out of the final piece, for me, always the doing the thing is the satisfying part of it, right? Because that's when we're doing, right? The mm-hmm. doing part of it mm-hmm. is, I think, what I love, you know? Um, it is amazing sometimes how little time we actually spend actually doing the thing we love because we're admired in logistics and schedules, et cetera, et cetera, and travel. Sure. And, you know, if I think about traveling to do a shoot in, let's say I go to New York to do a shoot, let's say maybe I have three hours with the subject, um, but several days in preparation, travel, sure. back home. Sure. So there's a, there's a three hour creative window. And then the rest of it is devoted to allowing me to have that three hour creative window. But with regards to reverence for the process, you know, I mean, it's it to me, it's it's where we are expressing our passion. You know, mm-hmm. through that process is where the passion is actually expressed. You know, the final piece of it is kind of evidence of the passion, right? Of the expression of the passion. It's the evidence of the effort. It's the evidence of the process. Um, I do think, you know, and actually, I've, I've talked to people about this in the past that. You know, for me, process with regards to the work is process alone. I don't think carries work. You mm-hmm. know, I don't. I don't really need. I don't want someone to explain that they had to do fourteen backflips in order to achieve this. You know, I, I want to see the thing and react to it. Now, if the fourteen backflips to achieve the thing is imparted on me, you know, it may be a, give me a different take on what the thing is or how it's done or whatever. But to me, you know, ultimately the final piece should speak for itself, you know? So I'm always really aware of that. I think too, when I'm, when I'm working on something is what I'm doing is I'm serving the end. I'm serving the final piece and simultaneously satisfying myself 
through the process of serving the final piece. Is, is there a sense, I mean, this is something that we, we talk about quite a bit, it, it, the idea of art having to be explained or, or qualified. Sh- should, should art have to be explained or, or should there be a, a connection to the aesthetic part of it and that's enough? Well, you know, that's a, that's the kind of age old question about even what, what is art, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for me, you know, I think we all have our own sensibilities. We all have our own tastes. We all have, you know, life experiences that solicit, you know, that ultimately will allow something to solicit a, a one response or another. Um, then we have sort of when we get locked up in our head and we have academia approaching things. I saw a documentary recently on um, a German art forger that was absolutely fascinating. It's on Netflix. I can't, his name is Wolfgang um, uh, Roncuzzi, I think. I, th- I and, think I just um, saw that it popped up on like trending or, or something. I, it's I bo- fantastic. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. But there was an art critic on there, uh, or I think he was an authenticator maybe, or a critic um, that was on there. He was talking about... Um, the idea of like who did it first kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he was talking about, you know, in the in the early modernist movement, uh, so-and-so, and I can't remember the individual, you know, painted a black square on mm-hmm. a white canvas. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, and the guy literally was explaining like, it's art because no one had ever painted a black square on a white canvas. Sure. You know? And it was almost like, it was kind of funny actually to me because it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you have a joke about pulling a clever lever, you know, it's like, oh, no one's ever painting a black spoon on a white canvas, maybe I'll do that kind of thing, whatever. But, you know, we all react to different things. You know, I've always reacted, you know, first of all, I, you know, I consider myself like a hopeless romantic, which is one reason I love sort of the idea of like the maker approach to things, you know, the hand wrought kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think that uh, for me, when I respond to things, when I respond to anything, you know, I mean, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, we were talking about a Bridgeport uh, company, Bridgeport, that makes mills. You know, they went out of business several years ago. And we were both kind of amazed that, like, these beautiful hand mills were gone, but, you know, they've been replaced by CNC machines, et cetera. And, um, and the idea that Bridgeport doesn't exist anymore is sad, is sad to me, but I told him I thought I should get a Bridgeport mill and put it in my living room because they're such beautiful works of mm-hmm. art. Just you know? as an object. And so, yeah. as an object. And mm-hmm. so I've never sort of felt like, I've never felt like the intent of the maker even determined sort of the artistic value of something. You know, like I'll, like a Bridgeport mill, I don't think anyone at Bridgeport has ever said that they felt like they were making sculpture, although they're making incredible sculpture. So the intent of the artist, yeah, it's important, I suppose, but, you know, I never react. I always just sort of react on an emotional level to things. You know, something moves me. I mean, I have photographs in my collection that are significant in the history of stars. We have, you know, Evans and I have Paul Strand and I have Adams and I have Stalin. And I also have a lot of really anonymous vernacular stuff that's hanging on my walls, you know, and all of them are just images that sort of speak to me. So that's why I want to live with them. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty much like a romantic when it comes mm-hmm. to all that stuff. Is it important to surround yourself with that? Is it important to, to have a collection that you can look to either, either as a source of, of uh, a history or as inspiration for moving forward? Has that always been important? Yeah, that's always been important. Any mm-hmm. space I've ever occupied has, and, and, and certainly not mutually exclusive to photography. I have 
you know, the studio space I have now, it's full of artifacts. It's like a museum. Right. So it's full of artifacts from 20th century, 19th century, you know, 21st century series, certainly as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, an inspirational space that I've created. You know, one whole part of it is sort of cabinet of curiosities, you know, skulls, hmm. skeletons, uh, you know, wood and, you know, rocks and hornets' nests and insects and et cetera, and medical illustrations, uh, orreries. One whole part of it is, you know, Second World War. There's a huge wall of Second World War American helmets and all, every model that was ever made, kind of thing, stuff like that. You know, I've just collected, I've collected, and my collections have always been, you know, it's funny, I talked to my wife about this and she was talking about all the junk at the studio. And I said, all the junk at the studio is going to be my, my retirement when I want to sell it all because <laughs> none of it's junk. <laughs> it's not junk. You know, it's all like very carefully selected. Right, right. But it's, You're but curating it's your own retirement. <laughs> yeah, I've curated my retirement. And, and it's, it's very well curated and it's very, very, very specifically selected and displayed. But... You know, I, I tend to do my best thinking or a lot of my best thinking when I'm walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's nice to be able to walk around the studio and walk around the property. The room I'm in right now is a little building that I built for kind of a lighting room slash talking on the phone room. And it's a freestanding structure that's out in the meadow on the property. And mm. it's filled with 18th or 19th century sort of medical artifacts, et cetera. I'm looking at this giant one whole wall with windows. It's really beautiful, actually, right now. My view is incredible. Wow. But, you know, these spaces are all conducive. In my experience, they're all conducive to creative thinking, you know. And, and yeah, I find inspiration in sort of beautiful objects and right. beautiful spaces. And, you know, um, I think that uh, because we're creating from, you know, as photographers, we're dependent on something to point our camera at, right? So sure. we're certainly like responding to objects and responding to environments and responding to other people. So, yeah, I do. I do think, it, I think it's, uh, you know, Robert Frank talked about uh, shooting a lot and I shoot almost every day uh, um, like a boxer training for a fight, you know, just to really be sharp, have your senses sharp, you know, mm-hmm. to keep mm-hmm. your keep your sort of senses very, very sharp and uh, I think, you know, being around sort of beauty helps to formulate thoughts on projects or adapt sort of things that I have or things that I've seen to different projects or variations of those, et cetera. Is, is there a different underlying creative process at work for you if you're shooting or building some sort of assemblage or drawing or sketching, or does it all, do you think, come from the same place? Yeah, it's it's the same process. You know, mm-hmm, all I do, mm-hmm. I feel like what I do is just make a decision as to what medium it's going to be. And then it comes from the same place. Yeah, I don't put on a different hat um, because, because, you know, we're dealing with, you know, technical approaches. So if I'm drawing, I'm using pencil or paint or whatever I'm using. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm limited and both empowered by whatever medium I'm working in, you know. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, it's funny you should ask that because I, I was just talking to someone the other day about, they were asking me about writing. And I honestly feel like when I write, it comes from the exact same place. It's so interesting because it's such a disparity. Really? Like Matt Mahern. Yeah, Matt Mahern's a photographer, a profoundly talented photographer and illustrator who I've known for many, many years. And we were talking about writing. Um, and, uh, 
it's very interesting. We both had exactly the same take on it. You know, it's just like it's just like taking pictures, but you just use, you know, I, in my case, I write on. Well, he does too, so we both write on our computers. But you know, it's just a very. It, it comes from the exact same. It's 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 it sort of strikes the same satisfaction as doing any other kind of making thing to me when I write. It's really interesting. Now, you, I would have thought that it would have been a totally different kind of place in a different space, but, you know, for he and I both, and I can't say that that would be the same for everyone, but, we, you know, it was almost like we had this epiphany, epiphany like, oh, my God, I, I have the exact same experience. You know, it, <laughs> it feels exactly the same as doing everything else. You know, it's the same thing. You know? so. When you started Road to Seeing, did you did you have in mind that it would end up how it ended up or did it did it begin one way and evolve as you were writing it definitely evolved uh i was approached by my editor ted wake who i actually talked to right on the phone right before i talked to you because we're going to press in march on this next book i'm working on but um he had approached me and uh we talked about working on a book together and um you know, I said, I don't really, he'd asked me if I'd be interested in doing a lighting book, actually. And I, I said, I, I didn't really think, I said, there are plenty of lighting books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I can, let me think about it. So I thought about, and I went back to him and said, I'd like to write the book that I kind of wish existed when I was a young photographer. It's almost like, you know, kind of, kind of covering a lot of ground that maybe only experience could communicate. And, uh, and so he said, okay, what does that look like? And I said, I don't really know what it looks like, but I'm going to start working on it. So I just started writing and, uh, it was originally, we had originally discussed it being 220 pages, uh, and, um, it ended up being about 700. A little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's about 720. And I remember him saying, it was like 717, and he said, can you take it to 696, because that's where signature is going to land. Hmm. No, 711, I remember 711, and he said, can you take it to 696, because that's the signature, will land at 696. And so it was pretty easy to pull out some of the stuff that I did. And then, uh, so it was considerably different. And the, I, I have to really applaud him. I think he stuck his neck out quite a bit on that book, because he had gotten a P&L approved for a 220-page book, and every time, you know, I hit 220 so fast. Really? And he said, uh, yeah, and I said, um, yeah, I'm at 220 already. I'm at 270, I think. And he said, oh, well, I'll just keep writing. And then I was at 350 and then 400 and then 500 and then 600. And every time he just kind of said, just keep writing until you feel like it's finished. And wow. Did you write it sequentially? And I it. Yeah, I wrote, um, no, uh-uh. I wrote, you know what I did is I, I outlined it and I had a, a lot of ideas as to how it was going to go down. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the reason I didn't write it sequentially actually is because I allowed sort of where my head was at the time to dictate what I was writing about. Oh, so sure. because I had outlined it, I was like, oh, I'm going to work on this chapter about context. And some of the chapters, like the Eddie Adams chapter, you know, where I talked about the, did, did you read the book? Yes, yes. Yeah. So when I talked about the context behind that uh, Viet Cong shooting, for example, where I researched, I mean, it took me quite a long time to research that and figure out all the players and who was there and how it all went out. And, you know, I talked to Eddie about it while he was still alive. And uh, so it was, uh, it was, that was a chapter that I kept going back to because, you know, I just, it, to be perfectly honest, it was kind of exhausting 
to get on the phone with people and try to figure things out. And mm -hmm. then uh, other chapters came out. Any of the working chapters, those came very easily, you know, and I didn't write them in order. I just said, I want to write about Fred Rogers. So I wrote the Fred Rogers thing, and then I kind of assembled them later on. But the street photography thing, I, kept, I went back to a lot. There was a lot of text in that one, and, you know, I kind of roamed around a little bit, but I pretty much had a good, I had a pretty good idea how it was going how it was, where it was all going to fit. You know, I had a folder for each chapter, and I created folders, even if I hadn't created content, so I could look at it. And I moved them around, and it made sense. And so I had all these folders in a certain order, and then I would just, like, fill folders with stuff, you know, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. kind of move inward, you know, and just kind of move things around here and there and the other way. It evolved quite a bit, but it was really satisfying. I'm working on another small book that's closer to what uh, the original idea, the 220-page book was that um, I'm, I'm going to do with Ted, I think, too, about uh, kind of a process book. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I think that'll be a nice little kind of little tiny quick read, you know, who read it in the night kind of thing. Do you see um, them as part of the same conversation, Road to Seeing, in the new book? It'll, it'll be part of the same conversation only because, you know, it's going to be my voice, but I don't know that they'll be, they'll be, yeah, I think it might be some sort of distillation of stuff that's in Road to Seeing, mm -hmm. but it might lean, it might lean a little bit more into some, some technical things, not necessarily technical, but the idea of composition and some formal things about image making. And Road to Seeing was a little bit more kind of ambiguous as to process. You know, I didn't really talk about process much in Road to Seeing. You know, like, I, I intentionally didn't, but uh, I think, you know, it's possible to talk about process and not be talking about technique so right. much. Right. And I think those are two very different things. You know, I know that a lot of the, you know, I'll get emails to the website asking, you know, what kind of camera and this and that and everything and what kind of plug-in we use for lighting. And, you know, like for this had one, you know, it's kind of funny. It's, I'm reluctant to answer those kinds of questions. Usually I'll just say I shoot with, uh, you know, either a hot blog, Roloflex, Canon, you know, like right. two and a quarter system or 35 millimeter DSLR, like, because he's, I think a lot of times in in in, in uh, creating uh, creating work, because there's technique involved, people look to the technique for the answer. Right. And I don't think that uh, it's an answer. I think it's a part of it. You know, I was watching uh, talking to a really good friend of mine, Bob Schneider, who's a singer songwriter, musician, and a very very talented visual artist who paints and does collage work and sculpts and he's a really good friend fortunately you know there is a pretty good group of local artists that you know i'm kind of connected to in austin here mm -hmm. and bob's one of them and he um he uh i can't remember why i brought bob up oh i know what it was he and i were talking about gerhardt richter and he and i are both huge gerhardt richter fans and there's a documentary on netflix called gerhardt richter yeah, Pain. terrific terrific and documentary ter terrific right yeah yeah it's fantastic and we were watching it but i watched it he watched it first he's like dude you got to watch this documentary it's so hypnotic it. yeah it's hypnotic and watching <laughs> him watching him paint in like an armani suit right right <laughs> right kind of amazing and not having <laughs> one single yeah. splatter of paint zero on himself yeah zero but you know i've seen those paintings for a long time and then seeing them actually like be created was a very different sort of experience for me because you know, I mean, I looked at him and I knew that he was like dragging color across and dragging tone across a, a canvas. But watching him unfold, you know, it, it takes on kind of a meaning that is 
is, that is uh, a little bit different because you, it's it's not like a magician doing a trick. Like I have a couple magic tricks I do that are kind of mind blowing, and people instantly always want to know how I did it, and right. I never want to tell them because you know you don't want to, it, it. It deadens the trick. You know, it's like oh that's how you do it, and I'm like. Yeah, that's how it's done, but it's hundreds and hundreds of hours of practicing sure. to get it to where, you, you know, here, you try it kind of thing, and they can't, of course, can't do it. So I'm really reluctant always to tell them how it's done because I want that experience to stay whole for them, you know. I don't want there to be a, like, aha moment. I think sometimes people will look for that answer, like that technical answer, and like, oh, oh, okay, okay, that's how you do it. Right. And, which is, that's not the case. You know Rather I mean? than allowing themselves to remain sort of mystified and... and, and yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or like try to find it, you know. And, and there's, there's certainly been, you know, I worked for Chris Callis in New York for a year, right, I think a year in like seven days. Like I'd originally given a one-year commitment to Chris. And he said, I, you know, I need a one-year commitment because there's a pretty big learning curve here, et cetera. And I'm perfectly happy to oblige that because I had been a newspaper photographer, and he's in the 80s was this huge New York advertising photographer. You know, he's doing major, major campaigns, and studios bustling always, and and it was a really exciting place to be. And he hired me as his first assistant straight out of being a newspaper photographer. So I had no experience, or very little experience, I should say, with uh, with lighting and with production. And I'd never been on another photographer's shoots before, let alone, you know, a big shoot with a big client and, you know, with the client side there and the model or actor side. You know, I mean, it was a big shift for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons he hired me is because I have building skills. So he did a lot of set building and I can build. I was a carpenter in high school. I mean, I was a carpenter in college, worked at a cabinet shop in high school, have my effects background. I can build all day long. I mean, there's a huge shop here, you know, that I work in all the time. Sure. And, um, and he, uh, he uh, hired me for that, and he said, you'll learn the rest of the stuff. You know, I can't teach someone to build, but you know, I can teach him how to, I can teach the other stuff. So, But anyway, working that year for Chris and seeing the possibilities and kind of like having some sort of understanding as to how the business functions with regards to dealing with clients, realizing ideas, uh, uh, um, showing up at a location and getting to the point where you're photographing, mm-hmm. making decisions about where to photograph, what to photograph, how to photograph, how to solve problems. That was immeasurably beneficial for me. And is that where my, your direction changed, is, is in working for him? My, my work doesn't look anything like this, nor has it ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think all, a lot, I think, you know what it was? It was, it gave me confidence that I could handle that. In other words, when I, I could, by the time I left Chris's, I had done so many big shoots with him that when my big shoots first started, I was completely comfortable in that environment. Wow. Yeah. I was totally comfortable in it. And and even though it was now my shoot. Yeah. Even though the role had changed. Yeah. And I felt totally confident. And, and, you know, believe me, you know, big giant productions didn't come right away, but the level uh, of complexity of the shoots kind of gradually grew. And I don't ever remember being sort of like daunted by it. Mm-hmm. It was very natural. It was very comfortable. And, you know, I, I know photographers that, you know, that get really knotted up in their stomach before they get a shoot and they get really nervous and, 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 and have a really sort of like, I don't want to say fear based, but I've, you know, I've spoken with people about this. Like, what's it like for you when you're shooting? What's it like for you? 
And, uh, you know, I can I be really honest with you, like, I am most comfortable when I'm shooting on no a kidding. shoot or no on the street shooting, regardless of the size of it. You know, I'm engaged in it completely. It's easy for me to make decisions. And, yeah, I really, really enjoy because it goes back to process. Like, mm-hmm. this is when it's actually happening. You know, this is when it's happening right now. And, you know... Sometimes I feel like I'm really making work that's important and it's going to be a part of my legacy. And sometimes I know that I'm making work that's solving a problem for someone. And I can be hired as a craftsman or an artist, depending on what it is. And I take pride in both of those things. You know, I take pride in the fact that I know how to solve this problem for someone that, you know, if it's an advertising situation, you know, they've been working on it for six months. They've had many people sign off on it. And it comes to me, I'm at the 11th hour, literally. You know, I'm the one that is realizing all of their efforts, you know, up to this point. And I'm perfectly willing to honor that, you know, even though it's not sort of particularly maybe the most creative thing I've ever done or whatever. So, you know, it all comes down to, I think, you know, just being reverent for whatever the work is and, and yeah, gratitude. I mean, my God, you know, I get paid money to take pictures. God, right. what an amazing gift that is, right? Sure, sure. Well, and the, and the fact that you are able to walk in sort of both camps as artist and technician and get such an immense amount of joy from either discipline is, is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, and 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 you know the the technic the technical part of it, I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that sort of goes away. You know, mm-hmm. I spent so mm-hmm. much time, spent so much time with it that that's kind of, you know, that's just serving what I want to do. And I I was talking to a seventeen year old I've been mentoring, uh, and uh, we we're talking about technique. And, you know, he has a very, like, punk rock kind of, like, laissez-faire sort of irreverent attitude towards technique. You know, he, he's like, yeah, I don't even look to the beef under sometimes. You know, he's real punk. You know, he's making this series of photographs that are actually really interesting pictures to me, which is why I've been helping him. But I, I, uh, he got all these prints back from this lab here in Austin, and they're just these crappy little 35 millimeter digital proof prints, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, he's working with him to do a blurb book. And so I said, okay, well, we got the thing edited, you know, we, I think we have about 45 images sequence. And I said, okay, so you're going to have to start scanning the negatives now. And he's like, well, I'll just scan the prints. And I said, uh, well, no, you got to scan the negatives because, you know, the prints, don't hold nearly the amount of information that the natives do. These are crappy little like proof prints. He says, well, I like the way they look. And I said, I'd be better. It would be better if you scan the negative. And if this is the way you wanted it to look in the end, that's great. Mm-hmm. But you're completely eradicating a whole bunch of possibilities right. by not exploring that. And I said, in the end, I said, look, you're allowing a lab in Austin who's making these, you know, markedly mediocre proof prints, which are an editing tool to determine the look of your photographs. Think about that. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you let a lab tell you what your pictures are going to look like? You need to explore the possibilities of pictures. And if you want to, if you come back to this and this is what you want, then you've made a conscious decision. But right now you haven't. You've just been subservient to like whatever the lab's giving you, you know. And it resonated with him, I think. I'm not sure how far he's going to take it, really, mm-hmm. because it's that real punk rock attitude of sure. like, yeah, you know, I don't care, whatever. But uh, well, I keep saying punk rock because a bunch of the 
or not a bunch, but several of the pictures were like shot at punk shows and stuff. And uh, and I know his, you know, his he's got that seventeen year old like I know everything. Right, 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 right. Until you, know? you realize that you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was singing a song. I was singing a song, and he goes, "Oh, I hate that song." And I go, "Yeah, I'm sure you do." You'll probably like it at some point. That's right. You'll come around. (laughs) Yeah, you'll like it at some point. I said it's a great song. You'll like it at some point. Is um, is there some part of you that that is uh, offended or 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 takes umbrage with a lack of respect for the process of doing? Do do you allow yourself to feel that, or is it is it only applicable in your own life? And and yeah, I mean, I I think there is sort of the emperor's new clothes thing mm-hmm, a lot of times, mm-hmm. and I think that applies to the idea of the guy that painted the black square on a white canvas to a degree. And also, you know, there's a very sort of uh, you know popular kind of flash on camera, very raw kind of photography that's popular in the fashion world, and you know, where you just show up sort of and you know, it's kind of a 35 flash on camera kind of look. You sure. Know? And, you know, obviously that's really from a technical standpoint, point, it's very easy to do that. Um, you know, I've seen interesting images come out of that. And so because I know that, because I know process and I know technique, I can look at it very quickly and dissect how it's done. But, you know, the same could be said of, you know, if I said, um, you know, I make 35 millimeter black and white street photographs on triads, like right. some of the basic framework uh, within which to imagine the work, you know, it's like, okay, I can kind of see that. Right. But you have everyone from Winogrand to Cardi Vassan to Papa George to every other sort of, you know, Eggleston's early work, Arvis, you know, uh, uh, um, um, Frank, so you have all this, the, this sort of richness, this tradition, this rich tradition, and these pictures all look different, even though they're using the same materials, you know? Sure. So, while I can, while it's easy as a as a technician to sort of dissect something, you know, and I, I've had this conversation with people before, you know, there's probably on some level at times like an emotional reaction. I'm not going to say that I haven't probably, you know, dismissed things because I felt like they were like handled very, you know, very sort of pedestrian manner. Mm-hmm. But I tend to feel like oftentimes I get called on to do things that are complicated and I like complexity and I like thinking through things, you know, um, I, you know, I didn't get into photography because I thought it would be a really cool thing. And I know I've spoken to a lot of students who think like, yeah, you know, and do like hang out with chicks and, you know, (laughs) do shoots and this and that. That was never, ever a part of my interest at all. You know, in fact, I, I'm like the photographer who literally finished shooting, and like wants to leave before the talent gets done so half the time. Right, like, right. Well, really they're still changing clothes. You, you get out yeah. of the room. Yeah. I don't really care about that <laughs> stuff at all. You know, um, the thing I care about is making the pictures. You know, I mean, uh, that's to me is the important part, really. And and uh, so you know, I don't sort of make effort to to do anything other than that. I will say, having said all of that, I will say that I have the greatest respect for my favorite practice of photography, which is 50 millimeter lens, no lighting, no nothing, walking around and shooting. Nothing to hide the behind. Most difficult, there's nothing to hide behind. It's yeah. the most difficult thing to do. And when you make pictures that are moving using that approach, with that approach, I think it's like 
a really tour de force sort of achievement because it is the most difficult thing to do. And it's pure, it's pure vision. It's purely seeing, you know, and, uh, and I think that is, you know, that's, there's no technical sort of uh, uh, complexity to that, but there's everything about sensibility and it's, it's hard to do. Sure. You know, I just was in New York a few weeks ago um, and I left uh, my friends, I was staying at a friend's house with my wife and I left the afternoon and just went for a walk and uh i shot a couple things that i'm actually going to put in that new book that's coming out so so happy that you know those those of that achievement was really satisfying to me mm-hmm. it's like it's almost the kind of like i still got it kind of thing sure you know? sure sure like, sure yeah i can still go bust out you know some good street work um, but that, to me, is the most difficult stuff to do, for sure. Because, you know, like I said, it's, look at Callahan's work. I mean, Callahan's work is, it's, you know, it's perfection. And, and it was all made within, like, a five-mile radius of his house, you know. And it didn't require, like, some, you know, some foreign land that offered some sort of completely, like, unfamiliar uh, 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 subject matter. It was really, like, the most banal thing you can imagine that he turned into the most amazing images purely through really looking, you know. Sure. Really looking is the hardest part. It really is. That's the hardest part. Is is the simpler photograph uh, the more revelatory experience? The studio stuff is so controlled that it's not really revelatory to me. There are mm-hmm. definitely moments that have happened over the years and continue to. I don't want to imply that it I wrote, but, um, sure. you know, I think that when things unfold in front of you, you're having to react to fleeting moments rather than to controlling a moment. So mm-hmm. like the art, the arc of a shoot, uh, in a studio setting in a portrait, for example, the arc of the shoot is if you're paying attention to the shoot, which I always try to really pay attention to the shoots, um, the arc of the shoot is very apparent to me. You know, I see it, I see it when it's happening. I know when to stop. You know, we did a shoot yesterday with this recording artist here, Timothy Jones, and uh, she came out, and I shot until I had the picture I wanted, and the picture that's going to the magazine is the last frame of the shoot, and it's the last frame of the shoot because it's when I got it. But I was like, okay, I got it, thanks. And we were done. And inversely, I did this shoot a few months ago with, uh, with the chancellor of the University of Texas, who's a total badass, maybe feel like awesome guy. And, you know, I light it and get it all dialed in with my assistants. And then I sat him in and I fired the first frame. And I literally said to my assistant, I go, that's the shot. And then we kind of went through the first frame and the first, first frame is no literally kidding. the one that ran in the 19th, the first frame. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny when, you know, I kept looking at it as we we're shooting going, I'm not, getting anything better than that first thing. And there's definitely some other stuff that I got that I could have used. I think I get the magazine three pictures because I was perfectly happy with three of them. Like any of these three could run. I'd be totally fine with it. Um, but it was that first one that they chose as well. They're like, oh, we like this in the best. I said, yeah, the one I like best. I think <laughs> I had told them, you know, like, right. I think I like this in the best, but I like all three of these. But, you know, when, you're, when, when things are unfolding, you know, you're not in control of them at all. So it's either you get it. So this really interesting thing happened. So I was at my friend's, it was with my wife, and I walked downstairs, and we were going to walk and get some food. It is in New York. And we turned on, uh, it was on A, we turned on the uh, 11, 
and we're halfway down the block and there's a construction site there and they're pouring concrete and they have this big giant wall of clear plastic uh kind of they made a fence out of it sort of and the truck is parked behind the wall and the guys are behind the wall and they're backlit so they're shadows it's almost like a shadow show on this plastic you know and i didn't have my camera i left it in the house because we were going a block to eat and i shot it with my phone and then i ran back to breath i ran all the way upstairs and got the camera i went back down and the moment had left but i said to her i said i think something might happen i'm going to stay here she said okay i'll go get lunch and i'll just bring it back and we'll leave at the apartment so I stayed there and waited for her. I stayed there for about 20 minutes, a half hour. And once again, like I got a picture that's going to go in the book. No kidding. It, ha- it happened again. What, what had been happening that I'd seen right. happened again. And actually, it actually happened better. Oh, so wow. it was one of those things. Yeah. But, you know, and you couldn't have planned so for that. Fleeting. There's no way. No way. Yeah. No, there's no way. Yeah. yeah and, and while I was staying there shooting, I had no idea where it was going to go. You know, you can just kind of, that's the thing about, you know, when people will talk about like, well, you shoot a hundred pictures and you're going to get something. Oh yeah, you may. But I think the trick is that you don't know where it's going. So I'm going to shoot the entire time. And then when it's happening, I see it happening and say, okay, it's happening right now. This is great. Got it. But yeah, I've made 30 or 40 pictures before because I'm not sure it was ever going to get to this point. And they sure. never have gotten at this point. But all the way along the line, there were moments that were good moments that, you know, Oh, this is a good moment. This is a good moment. This is a good moment. Okay, it's happening now. Good, I got it. <laughs> Did you stop when that moment happened? Um, you know, I'd have to look. I'd have to look uh, at proof, but I think probably right about when it was happening yeah. is probably when yeah. I stopped. So I shot a little more, and it was kind of like, yeah, it went flat. It went flat. It, 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 actually, what happened was something I hadn't seen earlier on because there was two silhouettes, you know, both at the top of the frame, and one guy got off the truck. And, you know, he got off the pumper and he went down and started shoveling. And that's actually when it happened. And his silhouette was a little bit softer because it had been really close to the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's almost this ghost. It's really beautiful. Picture, uh-huh. actually. Really beautiful. But I have to stop. You know, it's like I have to stop, you know, adding to the book. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be another 700-page book. Well, no, because I actually agreed going into this to a P&L and I agreed to a page count. And it's already all designed. So what I'm going to have to do now is pull images in order to put these two in. But there are images that I feel comfortable pulling mm-hmm. to, um, to put these in. Do we uh, do we have time for one more, or do you have to go? You tell me what you've sure. got. Okay. Yeah. Let's do one more. Yeah. I, uh, I I just saw the Smithsonian uh, the portrait of an American hero piece that you talked about at the Smithsonian before it had come out, and what a beautiful body of work that is. What a beautiful story. And I wondered if we could talk a little bit about how that came to be and whether or not you or how closely you worked with Al Reinert to, to complement each other's work, because it, it's, it's such a beautiful piece that works so well together, both the written word and, and your pictures. Thank you so much for saying that. So that project started, um, or the seeds of that project were planted about nine years ago, uh, my friend Justin Halliburton has a fabrication. Uh, he's a welder. He has mm-hmm. pelvis fabrication. So Luling, uh, I've worked with him on some projects and also have become good friends with him. In fact, I was down there last weekend working on something, uh, on something for myself. I was just working at his shop. He uh, did some stuff for me down there. Um, and just, we kind of just sat down and hung out. But when I was down there the very first time in Luling at his shop, his granddad would come every day to the shop in his pickup truck 
And I met him then and talked to him quite a bit. And, you know, I knew I have a pretty encyclopedic knowledge in the Second World War and was able to talk to him about, you know, the exact campaigns he was on and I knew the exact battles he was in a couple of them. Um, and so we hit it off really well to the point where, you know, I would just go down there and go to Justin's shop and help him dick around, whatever, and, and Ray would come by. And I thought then that it would be really interesting to do a, a photo essay on him for several reasons. One is because, you know, here he was a, uh, you know, he was a tech sergeant and he was captured in POW and he didn't have any kind of like stellar service record. You know, he was sort of this citizen soldier. And that was kind of what I thought was amazing about it because probably 99% of the men that served in the Second World War sort of answered the call and then went back home. And right. Exactly Just went back to their lives. Yeah. War broke out. Here's a watermelon farmer. War broke out. Him and his brother both enlisted, went to Europe, fought, brother got killed, came back home, grew tomatoes and water zones for the rest of his life. Hmm. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And, and, you know, I pitched it to a couple, I pitched it to Texas Monthly, and they didn't see it. And I pitched it to the New York Times. She didn't see it. I pitched it to Molly at Smithsonian uh, a couple of years ago. She called me. And she said, hey, do you have any ideas for photo essays? You know, we're, we're running photo essays, and if you got any ideas, maybe there's something we can work on together. And I pitched the story in the way, and I spoke very sort of in a visual manner to her about it. She was very, very intrigued by it. She thought it was a really interesting angle. You know, it wasn't like the guy, it wasn't like pivot to like really an old gay or anything. It was just a guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it sort of like fell by the way, so I tell Molly called. And I, I said, I have this idea. Here it is. And she said, that sounds fantastic. Let me talk to the editor. She called her back and she's like, Michael's totally not interested in it. He's not seeing it. I don't know why. And I said to her, I said, Molly, trust me on this. If I go do this job, you will want to run it. Just trust me. I know he doesn't see it, but trust me. It's really cool. And she said, okay, you know what? Just go do it. I want to tell him, just go do it. And so I just went and did it. And wow. that's kind of how it all happened. Um, I did the whole thing by myself. I didn't take an assistant or anything. I just went and did the whole thing by myself. I was using clip lights from Home Depot. No kidding. And I was just, yeah, I was clipping them <laughs> in rooms. And I was using 250 watt bulbs. And then I had three 1K for now with me. I had one area and two old Bartolome McAllister's. And uh, I had those and I just sat everything up and staged it and whatever shot I needed, but I was doing a lot of stuff where I was just shooting stuff off the ceiling just to raise the ambient stop in the room to get it where I needed it, you know, and uh, shooting stuff available light and just really like doing the thing by myself. And I kind of made that rule for myself that this is going to be a thing that Ray, it's Ray and I hanging out. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like a room full of people. It's not going to be a production. I want to do this just Ray and I are going to do this together. Kind of thing. And so I, that's what I did. Every time I went down there, I just drove down there and stayed with Ray, did what I need to, came back home or stayed down there. I stayed in the room a couple of times so I could work multiple days in a row with him and pretty much like made it that kind of project. Did he get it? Like it really, did Ray get it? Yeah. yeah did, I mean, he, did he see why it was important to tell this story? Uh, I don't know that he, I don't know that his faculties are at his disposal mm-hmm. enough anymore to sort of like assign 
relevance to it. Mm-hmm. I do know that he liked the pictures. I do know that Justin sent me a picture of him sitting down with the magazine in his lap, looking at it. Wow. And Justin fully, as he said, he fully liked it. And I was like, well, that's me, you know. Uh, the way Raphael came into it was when I did, I did a book called Last Launch, which was a book on the uh, shuttle program on the sure. last three launches of the last three shuttles. Okay. So Al wrote the foreword for that. Ah, okay. And Al, yeah. So Al was, Al was someone who I greatly admired. He's, you know, director of, uh, uh, for all mankind. He's a, a co-writer on Apollo 14, uh, 13, done a lot of stuff with NASA. And, uh, I felt like he would be a really great person to write the forward for last launch. I didn't know him at all. I got his email address. I emailed him cold and I had attached 10 images or so, uh, and explained like I'm doing this. Uh, I need someone to write a forward here of the images. This is what the book's about. And very nervously, actually, sent, you know, hit send. And within 10 minutes, I got an email back from him that said, I'm in. Wow. And then, um, and then I had Mark Kelly uh, write a little tiny forward for it as well. Just a little, like, you know, I wanted someone that was in one of those three launches. He was in the Endeavor launch, which is the one that was on the cover. I thought it'd be nice to have someone that was actually in one of these things mm-hmm, write mm-hmm. something. So when uh, when I was working on this project with Ray, um, the magazine asked me if there was any writer I wanted to work with, and I said, "Yeah, I'd work with Al on this." So Al came in after the entire thing was finished. All the photographs had been made. I had written a piece that I actually wanted to uh, use for it. The editor said, "The thing I wrote was very poetic. It was four paragraphs. It was very very poetic. It wasn't an editorial story at all. It was like a poem to mm-hmm. Ray." Um, and the art, uh, the editor in chief, uh, Michael Crusoe, he said he wanted to, uh, he wanted it to be, uh, uh, like an editorial piece. And so I said, well, I'd like Al to write it. So he, uh, approved Al to write it and Al wrote based on my images. Uh, I took Al down there one time to see Ray, uh, and, uh, we spent half a day with him. Uh, actually closer to a full day, I think Al did. And then we were fortunate to have, had his grandson Justin, my friend, mm-hmm. had done a lot of video, uh, done a lot of video interviews. So there was a lot of information in those video interviews and audio tape interviews that Al wrote from. Oh and, wow! Right? Yeah, Ray's not really Ray. Ray was a. Uh, he'll talk to you about it, but he's not. He can't give you a chronological account anymore. Right. And right. That and you you get that the from the article. You get that, that, oh, yeah, he, that he's got bits and pieces piece. of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we're so fortunate to have had all the information from Justin because we could sit down and watch. He's got like 80 hours of interviews. With him. Oh, geez. So we could sit down and watch, you know, interviews where literally he's just sitting at the kitchen table and had the, it's just a conversation. It's just video. Tape, and just you know? hit record and let it go. And let it go. Yeah. yeah. There's no wow. sort of nothing. And so, you know, all the information, any of the technical information that's involved in the piece was from those interviews for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely stuff that Ray talked about to Al that made it into the piece, but as far as just the raw information, that's not most all that comes from the, the uh, video interviews. It's, yeah, it's just a, a, it's a beautiful album. piece. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was all, once again, that was 50 millimeter lines, just straight up, you know, super simple. No strokes, no crews, no anything. And I think to a degree, it really manifests itself in the pictures. You know, I think mm-hmm. the simplicity of it and the simplicity of the approach and also 
sort of, you know, the intimacy of just being with someone over and over and over, you kind of almost become invisible at some point. Sure. You know, because it's become normal in their life, you know? Right. I know that in intimate situations when there are multiple crew members, sometimes it changes the dynamic. So, yeah, that was a really good, uh, was a really good uh, experience for me. That piece, I'm really proud of that piece. I think the greatest achievement of that photo essay for me is that the National Portrait Gallery is going to uh, procure the entire set of images. Oh, really? So he'll be, yeah, so he'll be, you know, in that record. Of, oh, that's you know, terrific. Sort of American, yeah. And I, I'm very pleased with that. You know, that was that was something that I was I was probably most proud of is that that that's, a, that, that's going to be a, 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 per, a permanent addition to uh, to that collection. So I, I have several images in the National Portrait Gallery, but to have that entire photo essay be a part of it to me meant quite a bit. You know? Does that mean that this essay will be displayed in its entirety at some point? I don't I don't know if they'll display it in its entirety. It would be awesome if they did because you know they do shows for new acquisitions once a year. Right. Um and it it would be really, really special to me to see that entire thing because those prints are beautiful and you know you never get that when you're looking at uh when you're looking at uh you know the magazine either you know you see a 20 by 24 of those images and they're such a different they have such a different presence you know sure. um you know that's certainly you know the way i would always hope that people were able to experience photographs in person you know I'm, i realized early on that uh i had an instructor say the only way to know what a good print uh, how to make a good print is to know what a good print looks like. Hmm. And I remember going down to LA County Museum or uh, 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 the uh, modern in uh, LA to uh, lock them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing a Gene Smith show there, and you know Smith was, you know, just heralded for his printing skills and his tenacity in the darkroom. And when I saw those pictures, you know, while I'd seen reproducing books, uh, seeing those images firsthand. I remember it just completely changed the way I viewed prints and mm. the abilities. And I really, at that point, started to really push myself uh, in terms of darkroom work and really try to understand what a negative is capable of. Because uh, you're right, you don't really know. You know, you see a photo 1A, if you ever go to a photo 1A class, you know, you see like gray prints, basically. You know, right. like they're just gray. Right, 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 <laughs> like right. Everybody prints so flat and just so gray. Um, but um, to really see, like, and then, of course, seeing any any of the great printers, you know, Stieglitz or you know, it's Adams, obviously, or Strand, or you know, you know, there are some printers or some really terrible printers, and you know, books oftentimes are great equalizers. You know, things that look great in a book and then you see it in person, it's either so much better in person or it's so much worse. You know, I just saw I was in Sotheby's in New York uh, a few weeks ago because uh, they were selling like 79 of the 80-odd prints uh, that Frank did for the Americans. They were oh, no kidding. Had a, yeah, they had them on display uh, as a show uh, leading up to the auction. And I really wanted to see that. And they were terrible prints. And really? It was one of, they, were just, they were just like not, you know, I should retract that and say they weren't terrible prints, but they certainly weren't masterful prints. And they mm-hmm. certainly could have been much better, you know, they're beautiful images, and they're such iconic and super important images. I guess it's just that one part of it that I get a lot of satisfaction out of really, really like precise darkroom work as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, I'm looking at everything thinking, wow, 
he could have done this, or God, look, that's all blocked up, or this or that, or wow, that's not even spotted very well, or, you know, that kind of stuff, where they felt a little bit, well, I used this term earlier when we were talking about the prince from the 17-year-old, but they felt a little irreverent, you know, right. just with regards to, to presentation. Right. Like, the image is certainly there. It was good it enough for someone. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's good. You know, it's fantastic to see the prince all right. in one place. I, I'm not going to... Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't a spectacular experience. You know, I, I guess ultimately I was surprised. You know, in the same way that the first time I think I saw Cardi Bassan Prince, you know, I I thought like, wow, these look kind of better in books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is not a is not right. what a yeah. dark not what you want the hear, reaction right? to be, right? At all, yeah. I don't imagine that good enough is something that comes out of your your mouth very often. No, and it frustrates people that work with me. We joke about it, you know, and I, and sometimes I even have to stop because I know that, you know, I have a tendency and it served me very well, but I have a tendency to go maybe too far sometimes. Can, can you see a point where, where you've made enough work to no longer have to add to the body of work and instead you're acting more as a curator of your own work, releasing that work out into the world? Yeah, I think that, you know, things are moving in that direction to a degree. I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, the books, the books have been a great way. You know, I have like four or five other books. Just I just want to keep making one every year or two years that are fully, you know, got out and fully not realized yet, but completely like, you know, the idea is fully fleshed out and there's a list and there's intents and it's like we're going to do this book next and then this book and then this book. There are things that I'm shooting specifically to for books. Um, I think the books probably would be, you know, the books are a great legacy because they're accessible. You know, yes. I have, you know, I have a huge photo book collection, very, very, very large book collection. And I'll never own a Stieglitz image. You know, there's just, there aren't any out there to right. own. We, right. we printed very few. Uh, there's just nothing out there. I'll never own one, but I have many Stieglitz books. Right. And to me, like Stieglitz's legacy for me is, is the book, you know, because I'm not going to, you rarely get to even see a Stieglitz print, you know, Paul Strand print, there aren't prints out there. There are later prints, but not, not in the early work. And, you know, certainly there's all of those images are well beyond my means and, always will be beyond my means. And so uh, I think books are like an incredible legacy. And so I'm very focused on bookmaking and uh, I really enjoy that process. So I think if if anything, if I was curating my body of work, it would be sort of in, in, in uh, the process would be probably in bookmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, there are days when I'll just go through my bookshelf and well, today I was pulling stuff off earlier actually just because I was looking for do its own references, but um, the idea of just being able to sit down and look at a collection of images by, if it's a monograph by one man or one woman or, you know, uh, uh, um, a curated uh, uh, book that's a uh, you know, collage. I mean, I have paintings, books on everything, you know, photo books and painting books and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we sit and contemplate that work and, you know, the high-end ice ones are, you know, they're they're affording you a, a pretty close approximation of, of uh, you know, convening with the, with the thing. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, I think books probably, for the rest of my life, are going to probably be a focus. I'd like to leave you with one thing that I, that I really enjoyed reading 
in, in doing the research and, and, and learning a little more about you. There was a quote, and I, I hope I'm getting this right, but it was, if you have something to give the universe, the universe will beat a path to your door. Mm-hmm. Do you still believe that? I do feel like that. I do feel like, you know, the one, one thing with photography is obviously that we're dependent once again on subject matter. So I have to travel to, you know, Obama's not going to come to my studio, right? I'd have to go to him or sure. I'd have to go to whoever, but you know, the amount of illustration work I do, et cetera, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to, to have that. And I think that's residue of diligence and it's residue of integrity and it's residue of hard work. You know, I think that's what happens. But, you know, I tell, I tell uh, students, you know, do the work and the rest of it will fall into place, you know, hmm. but you got to do the work and be honest with yourself about right. your work. You right. know, you don't, don't like fool yourself that you're, you know, working as hard as you can and this and that. And believe me, I mean, in my, years of work, there were certainly times where I had a very unhealthy relationship with work, you know, and I was working way too much and certainly to my detriment. And, uh, I think, uh, I think I have a much better sense of like what's workable for me now and to where, you know, holistically, like it, it with the way it applies to a life, you know, and I see guys in their thirties and stuff now that are shooting and that are shooting a ton and, it's, I'm happy that they're out there doing that. I, I did that and it was great for quite a long time, but I don't want that to be, you know, the way the rest of my life goes. So we're very, we're very mannered about the work we do and what we take on and, and what we commit to now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, we, we definitely weigh the value of, uh, of assignments in terms of, uh, you know, what is our sort of, what, 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 what how is that going to benefit us? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean from a monetary sense. I mean, sure, is sure, sure, sure. Is this going to add to the archive? Is, are these going to be important pictures for me to have? Um, you know, so all those things now are considered, whereas I think earlier on it was kind of like whatever it was we, you know, to do. You just, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that job. You know, right. see, I mean, when I had my studio in Hollywood, it wasn't uncommon to shoot five days a week. It wasn't uncommon. It was uncommon that it happened that I would do two shoots a day where I'd shoot in the morning and then go to a location or have two sheets at my studio in one day, you know, get one out of there, get another one in kind of thing. And, you know, that's crazy making, you know? So I think those things are important, but yeah, I do feel that. I do feel that. I feel like, you know, you know, if you're honest about the work and you really have something to offer, and I think it comes from like an honest relationship to your work, you know, if you have an honest relationship with your work. I do feel like the universe does sort of like come to you. you know, I don't feel like you have to go to the universe. I am so grateful to Dan for taking the time to have this conversation, especially after back-to-back 15-hour shooting days. Uh, his passion for making and his attention to detail in all areas of his craft are both incredibly inspiring to me. Uh, If you'd like to see uh, a portion of Dan's body of work, visit his website at danwintersphoto.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at danwintersphoto. And if you'd like to pre-order the book that we talked about, The Grey Ghost, you can do that on Amazon ahead of its release in May. Uh, If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Just look for Process Driven. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. Uh, you can also support the show by sharing it on Twitter or Facebook or by leaving a rating on iTunes. 
And if you know someone who you think might make for an interesting conversation and you can put me in touch with them, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook at Jeffrey Sidoris. Thanks very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you'll come back for the next one.